The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dangerous World Podcast. I should also include non-binaries, I guess. We're dolphin, lizard people, dinosaur people, uh, dog men, women, whatever. Uh, Doomsday Clock, dude. I'm really excited to get into this whole topic because I've been looking into it for a little while now. Uh, Just got sidetracked with other episodes Doing a lot of swap casts lately, and I wanted to get back to one of these, you know, more original. Like, this is kind of what the show has been for some time now, right? I mean, we've been doing just straight, you know, mostly since, you know, since Brandon left the show. It's been like me just kind of, uh, you know, solo doing fun, fun stuff. Topics that I'm really interested in and diving deep into them and blah, blah, blah. But we have been doing some cool things with other shows and... People seem to like that, man, but I never want to completely get away from the solo episodes because these are the ones where I can really dive deep into these topics that I find incredibly interesting, things that I don't really see people talking about too often. And uh, before I move on and before I forget, I did want to shout out Rich out in Wisconsin because uh, this guy supposedly is, uh, you know, he's been listening for a while, which is fucking cool. And what's kind of interesting, too, is, you know, anytime that you have friends and, uh, you know, we're on the other side of the country and one guy knows this other dude that's, you know, in Wisconsin, you know, and and then he he gets told about my show. I think that's kind of cool, man. It makes the world seem small and it makes it just seem like, yeah, people are actually listening to the show. And I know people are listening. I see my numbers and I, I know that there are people in every state listening and a lot of freaking countries too. Uh, but Rich, dude, I, it's kind of cool that uh, that you uh, you know kind of just mentioned that that you listen to the show to somebody that I happen to know that works in my industry. So thanks, man, for listening. Hope that you continue listening, and uh, hopefully, I don't scare anyone off with the offensive shit that I say. But obviously, it does happen. Uh, happens every week. So you know, it is what it is. But guys. Doomsday clock stuff, man. I've been talking about this for a minute and I wanted to take some time, make sure that I was covering different aspects of the clock than anyone else really was. And I actually did a search just today, actually, um, to see if there were any conspiracy podcast type shows listening or, or, or not listening, but talking about the doomsday clock in in this way there's nothing man there's no one really mentioning this thing and the doomsday clock is such a propaganda tool um right now we are living 100 seconds to midnight okay and it's been this way since uh 2020 i believe uh if i'm not mistaken january 18th they update this thing every january and for those that may not know it's just a really really cool propaganda tool for the deep state i mean these one world order people that make it very obvious dude if you can see through any type of propaganda you can absolutely tell that the doomsday clock is just that it's a symbol that literally just represents the likelihood of man-made global catastrophe and this was made in 1947 
in Chicago at the University of Chicago by the Bulletin of Atomic Sciences. And the reason why it's so interesting to me is because they, they started off with the Cold War, right? Russia versus the United States, communism versus capitalism, all that bullshit. But now climate change is involved. COVID-19 is involved. They're really evolving with the times, to so to speak. Okay. So think of this as a metaphor to kind of follow the unchecked scientific and technological advances. So, if, you know, nuclear weapons, obviously, this is a, a scientific advancement. It's a technological advancement, too. Now, it's interesting that since 1947, this clock has been changed forward and backward 24 times. Okay. The farthest from midnight, meaning total apocalypse, end of days, being 17 minutes away. And this is 1991, the year that I was born. It's a great year. And again, the nearest being this 100 seconds. And it's been here since 2020. And it's currently there now. So it's kind of, uh, it's a weird deal, dude. It really is something that you can't ignore. But at the same time, shouldn't we fucking ignore this thing? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And when you look into who made it, how it was made, I mean, Albert Einstein's heavily involved. Um, but when you actually look into it, Albert Einstein just wrote a manifesto about the risks of nuclear war. And before I get too far into the whole nuclear uh, aspect of this entire thing, there's this Szilard petition that I actually just found out about when I was researching this shit. And this Leo Szilard, if, if I'm pronouncing his name right, it's S-Z-I-L-A-R-D. Szilard is how I'm saying it, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, this is in 1945, before the bombs were dropped in Japan to end the war. Um, Leo Slazard, 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 whatever the fuck. This, I mean, when you have names like this, it's like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to say it right, or do you want me to just guess? You're getting what you get, okay? 70 scientists working on the Manhattan Project in Oak Ridge. Uh, this is in Tennessee, of course. And then... Um, the Metallurgical Laboratory in Chicago, Chicago. Uh, I mean, the these 70 scientists asked uh, the then president, Harry Truman, to inform Japan on the terms of surrender uh, before the bombs were dropped. Right. This was, of course, the allies had agreed to some terms that Japan needed to follow through with. In order to end the war and to ensure peace moving forward, which, you know, if you call this peace, hey, you know, we've uh, really drifted away from that. So what's interesting about this Szilard petition is that it never made it through the chain of command to President Truman's desk. He never even saw this thing. And the whole thing wasn't even declassified and made public until 1961. So again, this was supposed to be made public in 1945, wasn't done so until 1961. And uh, later in 1946, Szilard jointly with Albert Einstein created the Emergency Committee of Atomic Science Sciences. So this is sort of the foundation of this bulletin that was created to really watch over the atomic clock. And as we move on through this episode, and then probably more so in the Patreon portion, I'm actually going to talk about the people that are involved with the board, with the bulletin, and what societies they're involved with. We're also going to talk about these societies and what they mean. A lot of Rockefeller Foundation, uh, you know, involvement and entanglement. And I'm actually going to have Kim help me with this because she did the bulk of the research on this. So you'll be hearing her annoying voice here shortly. But, uh, you know, it's fascinating stuff, man. And and we just got obsessed with this because it's something that was really you remember fucking you remember the the I mean, obviously, a lot of us may have not been alive, but like our parents, you know, if you were a, a 60s kid. You were going through the whole thing where you're supposed to hide under your desk. You had the Cuban Missile Crisis. You had a lot of really interesting times during this Cold War that was all propaganda. Hiding under a damn wooden desk, that's probably not even real wood, when a nuclear bomb scare is in place. I mean, that's not going to do anything. We know this, right? But it was to keep people afraid. That's what this clock really is. Now, yes, the people involved, and I will prove undoubtedly that there is a one world agenda behind 
this clock and behind the board of atomic sciences, the bu- the bulletin, I keep calling it the board, but it's the bulletin of atomic sciences. It's a very, very shady organization. And uh, there's one institute in particular, the Pugwash uh, Committee, which won a Nobel Peace Prize in 1995. And I'll get into them more later. Um, they were one of the greatest psychological operations since the Trojan horse. I mean, it really is sitting here telling America, you need to be scared. And meanwhile, Russia is arming themselves to the fucking teeth, dude. So there's a lot of interesting organizations that really back this doomsday clock and the bulletin of atomic sciences and so on. But to get back a little bit to this uh, Solar petition before really moving into this, out of the 70 scientists that signed this petition, and there's a there's a whole list. You can even look on Wikipedia. There's a list of these uh these signatures, uh, people that worked on the Manhattan Project and then the uh, Metallurgical Laboratory in Chicago. And this is an alphabetical order. It's listed. I'm not going to go through all of them. But uh, I hope I'm pronouncing metallurgical correctly, too. Metallurgical. I'm sure that there's probably some asshole out there like, no, it's not how you say it. But out of the 70 scientists, 15% of them, according to Wikipedia, which take it or leave it, but 15%. Of these 70 scientists said that the bomb should be used as a weapon by the military in order to bring about Japanese surrender with the fewest possible allied casualties. So essentially 15% of these 70 quote unquote geniuses of the time were in favor of the bomb being used the way that it was in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, little boy and fat man, right? Now, 46, the overwhelming majority, as far as like if you're going to take the the five different categories of which they could have voted on, 46% of these 70 said the bomb should be demonstrated by the military in Japan with the hope that surrender would follow. If not, the bomb should be used as a weapon. Okay, so they wanted to do a warning on Japanese soil saying, hey, this is going to be done in your big cities if you guys don't shape the fuck up. And if they shaped up, then, you know, we're not going to use this thing because this is a scary, scary technology, right? Now, 26% said the bomb should be part of an experimental demonstration in the United States with a Japanese delegation present as witnesses in the hope that they would bring their observations back to the government and advocate for surrender. So essentially, you're showing these guys here on in the U.S., you're bringing some Japanese people over saying, hey, we're going to drop this shit on you knock it off go tell your leaders what's up 11 percent. the bomb should be used only as part of a public demonstration not sure what that would do maybe they were hoping that the word would trickle back to the japanese emperor and they would say hey you know, these guys got some technology we don't want to mess with and then uh overwhelming minority, only 2% said the bomb should not be used in combat and total secrecy should be maintained afterwards. Now, isn't that interesting? Out of, you know, all of these people, and this was a Democratic administration, by the way, right? Truman was a Democrat. The overwhelming majority of people, if you're taking the 15% and the 46% and the 26%, the people that are leaning towards, yes, absolutely using the bomb. If, if it came down to it, you're looking right there at, shit, 80-something percent, right? 46 plus 26 plus 15, my math isn't great, but that's over 80 percent. We have, we have a Democratic administration here that is very, very pro-war, and that has not changed. We're still seeing that today. So I think it's interesting. And when you look at how this doomsday clock was changed around, and again, I'm going to get more into the technical aspects of it. Um, there's a really great chart here, which I'll probably post. So again, in 1940, uh, 1947, we're starting off at 2353. We're going off of a 24 hour clock here, midnight representing 24 or going back to zero, which is what a reset. And this is what I thought immediately looking into this is that is this doomsday clock a great reset clock? Cause we're the closest that we've ever been again. We're 100 seconds to midnight. Midnight means reset. That's when the day starts over. I don't know, man. I I see Great Reset written all over this doomsday clock. So anyway, in 1947, seven minutes to midnight, here at 
uh, yeah, 2353, the initial setting of the doomsday clock. You move up in 1949, the Soviet Union tests its first atomic bomb, the RDS-1, officially starting the nuclear arms race. It moves forward a little bit to uh, three minutes to midnight. Then we move up a little more in 1953 to two minutes to midnight. And then in the, in 1960, in response to, uh, partisa, uh, I'm sorry, in response to a perception of increased scientific cooperation and public understanding of the dangers of nuclear weapons, uh, everything goes back down. So in 1960, we see some peace. We're seven minutes to midnight. 63, we move 12 minutes to midnight. But then in 1968, the involvement of the United States in the Vietnam War intensifies. The Indo-Pakistani War of 1965 takes place, and the Six-Day War occurs in 1967, right? France and China, two nations which have not signed uh, the Partial Test Ban Treaty, acquire and test nuclear weapons to assert themselves as global players in the nuclear arms race. So we move from 12 minutes to midnight to 7. Then every nation in the world, with notable exceptions of India, Israel, and Pakistan, signs the nuclear non proliferation treaty in 1969 we moved back to 10 minutes and then back down again to 12 minutes in 1972 when the united states and soviet union signed the first strategic arms limitation treaty or salt one and the anti-ballistic missile or abm treaty so 12 minutes is the farthest that we have been until 1991, where we're 17 minutes away, as I mentioned, we're at 2343. The United States and Soviet Union signed the first strategic arms reduction treaty, start one, and the Soviet Union dissolves on December 26th, 1991. This is the farthest from midnight the clock has been since its inception. But right away, four years later, we're moving up to 14. Then 1998, we're up to 9, 2002, 7. I mean, nothing changed in 2001. I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? It waits till 2002. Um, then uh, 2007, we're five minutes away. 2010, we're six minutes away. Things relax a little bit. And since 2012, it has done nothing but move up. Of course, in 2012, the reason that they list is a lack of global political action to address global climate change nuclear weapons stockpiles, and the potential for regional nuclear conflict and nuclear power safety. So this is really when climate change begins to be introduced to the world threat. Now, of course, we've been talking about climate change since the 70s, uh, but of course, this was global cooling. That was the fear. And for some reason, uh, you know, it changed from global cooling, cooling to global warming. I don't know, man. It's it's a it's a fascinating deal. And of course, again, I'm going to sort of just reiterate the reason why it has been 100 seconds to midnight at 2358.20. OK, uh, 20 seconds uh, being that 20 there. Since 2020, the failure of world leaders to deal with increased threats of nuclear war, such as the end of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty or the INF, between uh, and and to be clear, the IMF, International Monetary Fund, the INF, NF. This is completely different. So you know, over me speaking here, it may sound like I'm saying something different, but the INF, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, okay, between the United States and Russia, as well as increased tensions between the U.S. and Iran, along with a continued neglect of climate change. So they have to pound in climate change there again. Announced in units of seconds instead of minutes. This is the clock's closest approach to midnight, exceeding that of 1953 and 2018. The bulletin concluded that stating that the current issues causing the adjustment are the most dangerous situation that humanity has ever faced. In 2021 and 2022, uh, I'm sorry, two, yeah, 2021, 2022, the bulletin reaffirmed the 100 seconds to midnight time setting. So, again, every January we're seeing this. Didn't see any changes over the last two years. I guarantee that we'll see some sort of change. Um, obviously, leading up to 2030, we'll see some, some serious changes. But we may be seeing uh, some drastic changes here in the next year. So, I don't know, man. I, I'm, 
I'm over this kind of shit. I think that it's stupid, excuse me, to have some sort of clock that literally is going to tell us when the end of times is going to come. Like, you know, when the world blows up, are they going to like go back in time and bring this back down to zero? Cause they'll tell you the shit that they can never get it to zero, right? They can never get it to midnight. They can get it to one second to midnight. And that's just going to really make people scared. That's all that that's going to do. You can't count this shit as, as very serious. It's shitty. So to reiterate, just think of the clock as a symbol that represents the likelihood of a man-made global catastrophe. This is a direct quote from the uh, bulletin.org where you can go and check out exactly what I'm talking about here. This is their site for the doomsday clock. It's a metaphor made to warn and inspire people to action. So it's all fear porn. That's the only reason that this is even... A thing. I mean, there's no reason to just sit here and be terrified of what's going on. Why not just fucking enjoy your life, right? It's a, a crazy concept, but I mean, Jesus, dude, there's no reason to sit here and just be terrified of uh, of what's going to come. And it's kind of funny, too, when you look into the creation of the clock, you have a Russian-born American biophysicist. Um, uh, if we're scared of Russia... At the height of the Cold War, why the fuck is this Eugene Rabinowitz, uh, Rabinowitz, I'm sorry, in charge? You know, one of the co-founders, along with a very unfortunate name, Hyman Goldsmith. Uh, Hyman Goldsmith is his name. And these two are in charge of one of the biggest propaganda tools that the United States has ever known. And they approached this woman to create the clock, right, to put the art behind the terror. Martel Langsdorf actually was the one that drew up the doomsday clock image. And she's an interesting artist. She's got some cool stuff that she's done. But obviously, the the most iconic thing that she's ever created was the doomsday clock. Only showing the final, you know, if you're looking at a clock, you're getting the nine up to the 12. 9, 10, 11, 12 is all that you get. But they're just represented by dots. You get a black arrow, uh, a black hand with a white hand, white dots, um, orange background. I don't know. I could have designed this. I could have, you know, done something better than that. I think anyone could. But this uh, Martel Langsdorf was was credited with creating this. And she's the wife of this uh, Manhattan Project Research Associate, um, Alexander Langsdorf. So I want to move into some of these uh, societies and these boards and these committees that are really involved with the actual board of the bulletin. Okay, there's a, a group of about, I haven't even counted how many people. There's maybe, I mean, between 10 and 20 people that are on the board of bulletin sciences and atomic sciences. Um, but I, I do find it interesting that even mainstream media will also call this whole uh doomsday clock a liberal angst meter okay i don't know exactly what that means i i think that it does play into the fear porn um they've named it a propaganda weapon as i sort of alluded to here but it really creates a lot of buzz in the age of the internet the internet wasn't around the entire time so a lot of people didn't even know what this was when the thing was created you'd see it in newspapers but it sort of got a lot of attention when it was first created. And then the attention sort of went away because no one really cared about this shit. A lot of people saw through this, believe it or not, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, right? But damn, dude, th this is a really interesting little tool that they have been using for quite some time. So let's move into some of these uh, these organizations that are involved. So you have first up here the Intelligence Committee Studies Board. And it serves as the convening authority for discussion of science and technology issues of importance. And they report to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. And at the moment, in uh, you know 2022, this is Avril Haines. And again, this is a liberal organization, very, very democratic, right? Democrat. And Avril Haines is called an outsider by NPR. NPR should be loving what this lady's doing, but... I mean, who is this chick? They call her an outsider. It's, it's it's interesting to hear those kind of words used by a very, very pro-female, 
pro-outsider organization like NPR. Uh, the Committee on International Security and Arms Control, this was founded back in 1980, made by the United States Academy of Sciences, and it supports the national public with its best members, very exclusive high-ranking government officials to solve issues on international security and arms control. Next, we have the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the largest General Scientific Society in the United States represents all major branches of science and is divided into several sections and subdivisions. Founded in 1948, it is another nonprofit, and its base of operations is in none other than the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., baby. So very, very uh, well-connected people. The American Academy of Arts and Sciences, founded in 1780. You heard that right, 1780 by John Adams and John Hancock, okay? Headquartered in Cambridge, addressing critical challenges facing a global society, a global society, right? Another nonprofit. The Committee on International Security Studies, same as the Committee of International Security and Arms Control. It's actually a subdivision of that community. So a lot of the same work, just more niche. The United States and International Pugwash Committee, which I mentioned a couple times already, in conferences. Pugwash seeks a world free of nuclear weapons. This is, of course, members only for scholars and public figures seeking solutions to global security threats. Was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1995, along with another individual. His name is slipping my mind right now. But again, the Pugwash Committee is affiliated with the Rockefeller Foundation. And they were there to literally make Americans afraid and to prepare to just get bombed. And while the public was terrified of some bombings, right, all that Russia was doing was arming themselves. Russia wasn't afraid of fucking war. Their government was telling them, hey, we're ready for war. Let's bring it on. Our government was telling us here in the United States, guys, we're not ready for war fucking hide under a desk if bombs come because we can't stop them go figure on that fuck that shit that's so stupid the american geophysical society okay it's another nonprofit. you see that repeated here it's a nonprofit organization of the study and protection of earth atmospheric oceanic hydraulic space planetary science this is another members only deal very exclusive club uh, they have a Florida headquarters, and they were founded in 1919. There's a lot of weird organizations founded in the early 1900s, which I mentioned in my mind control. I mentioned this several times. I mean, you have the uh, Pilgrim Society being formed in the early 1900s, the Fed, the FBI, the CFR. You have a lot of these things popping up between 1900 and 1930, let's say. The Royal Society. Now, the Royal Society of London for improving natural knowledge. This was founded in uh, 1660. This is an, I think this is the oldest one that we have here. 1660, the Royal Society was founded. Uh, it's in the UK's National Academy of Sciences. So another Pilgrim Society uh, influenced organization, society type deal there. Now the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace the Carnegie Endowment is something that you've heard me speak about briefly in many, many episodes that I've done because this is, it rivals the Rockefeller Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but it really is a low flyer when it comes to uh, the attention that we pay to it. Nonpartisan International Affairs Think Tank is what this whole thing boils down to. It was founded in 1910, another early 1900s deal here, headquartered in D.C., and uh, the goal here is to advance global one world peace. So you see that again with the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, a lot of WASP organizations here and the development of global peace policies, all about peace, all about calming down this sleeping giant that is the United States. OK, uh, only have uh, four more here and then we'll roll into some of these people and I will bring Kim on to kind of give her thoughts and ideas and we'll rifle through these people. Uh, metaphorically, we're not going to rifle through any of these people because I think, uh, you know, that's uh, threat speech. If we if we say that literally, we're, we're just uh, we're going to talk about them. OK, uh, last last four here. 
American Physical Society. It's a nonprofit. Members of uh, Elite Physics. Uh, these are physics professionals. Uh, 50 divisions of this society and several thousand members founded in 1899 at Columbia University. Next up, the Union of uh, Concerned Scientists, founded in 1969, looking for practical solutions for a healthy planet. Yet another nonprofit. This is a science advocacy organization. Private citizens and uh, science professionals are members of this, so it's a little less exclusive, but still uh, hyper, hyper liberal, hyper one world, hyper uh, everything that we don't really like here. Next up here, the National Academy of Sciences Committee on International Security and Arms Control. That one's a mouthful. Brings the scientific and technical resources of the National Academies to bear on critical problems of peace. This is founded in 1980. Private membership, another nonprofit, uh, membership only. And I guess you have to be elected in order to be a member of these things. People have to vote you in. So pretty exclusive. And last up here is a very interesting one. Um, the National Academy of Sciences, founded in 1863 by Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln and Alexander Bach. It's another nonprofit, but the net worth in 2020 was 553.9 million. I don't understand how you can be nonprofit and be worth that much. That sounds like a lot of fucking profit to me. I don't get it. I don't I I think I need to get into nonprofit. This podcast needs to become nonprofit so that I can make maximum profit. It sounds like. Um, but it's a private election membership only established by Congressional Act. Um, by the Congressional Act, I should say. Kim's writing is horrible here. This is what I'm reading. So uh, they're in charge with providing independent, objective advice to the nation on matters related to science and technology. Now, the academy includes academics of sciences, engineering, and medicine. Really, really elite group. Uh, Again, anytime you're dealing with the oldest group there was from the 1660s. That one to me really screams elitism because, uh, man, Abraham Lincoln, there's a lot of conspiracy surrounding him. So I'm going to bring on Kim here. We're going to talk about uh, the people involved in the group after we kind of get her ideas of what she saw when she was looking in to this group when she found, you know, all this all this information. I mean, a majority of the research comes from her. I had to. uh sort of add some things on because when you get a scatterbrained person involved you have to clean up some things but uh very interesting stuff and so we're gonna get her ideas right now so uh let's go Okay, so we're bringing in Kim, who, uh, like I said, did the bulk of the research, and it's very interesting, the stuff that she did find. You were going about, uh, you know, looking into the people that are part of the bulletin, and then you also looked into the societies, the committees, the boards, all these things that are involved. So, first of all, uh, and and by the way, before we really roll into this, I got to say to the listeners, from this point on, you may hear dogs clicking around on the wood floor because this is a thing with this new dog. It's kind of difficult to, uh, you know, just like completely just cancel out your responsibilities as a grown adult human being and just say, hey, dog, go fuck yourself. And this is, you know, this is this is a problem. This is a serious situation we had. We had to push this episode back twice at this point. He's just a little attached to me. He likes to follow me around. Well, he's attached to anyone. Hey, he's attached to anyone with a pulse. I'll say that. So with that being said, I want to know right away what you thought of uh, the Doomsday Clock and this atomic bulletin when you were looking into it. First thought, when I say gun to head, tell me about, the atomic uh, bulletin board. What do you got to say? The bulletin of atomic scientists is who you're actually referring to. And that is just a group of scientists who run this giant organization that has to do with the uh, doomsday clock. But there is a board within the bulletin and it's a science and security board. And that's a group of people that run that actually are in charge of the decisions that make the clock tick and go forward or go backwards. So it's like a lot of subcommittees and crazy, like, you know, 
committees within committees within committees, you know? Yeah, I talked about quite a few of these a moment ago, but uh, clearly there's a one world agenda here. There's a new world order component to it. Yeah, they call it uh, the new world global unity. That's what they call it. And several different of these societies that are like offset, like the members of the science and security board are in all these societies. And a lot of their main goal and like in the wording of all these websites, it says the one world unity. Like they don't call it like one world nation anymore because that, you know, clearly failed and everybody knows it's like a conspiracy and like, you know, it's all bullshit. But it's all like nobody's going to believe it. But now they're trying to disguise it as calling it one world unity, which is it, it's still the same thing. It's a bunch of like very rich and powerful people controlling everything that we do via scare tactics scare tactics okay so it sounds like it's more like uh like i was saying a propaganda tool there seems to be some obvious components here where it's just i mean no one's really paid attention to this fucking thing ever since its inception and you see albert einstein who you know gets a lot of credit for being the founder of the clock but as you mentioned he really wasn't the founder yeah there was a group of scientists who were were responsible for the manhattan project like 70 something scientists who made the manhattan project and the doomsday clock based off of that french guy what was his name which one the french guy that did the manifesto with albert einstein Oh, uh, well, there was the Russian. I don't know about the French guy in particular, but I mentioned him earlier. And yeah, there was a there was a few people involved. And they got credit. They're the ones that got credit for this doomsday clock when in all actuality, these 70 scientists went off this manifesto that Einstein created and a bunch of like lecture papers that all these other people created and made this doomsday clock and the i can't find who the scientists well the same 70 scientists that were involved were part of the salard uh petition and salard may be the french he was hungarian so this isn't him oh my bad for some reason i think he's french maybe he's not okay well so there were 70 scientists that were involved in signing this petition i talked about that at nauseam in the beginning of this so just move on let's get into i want to get into who is Oh, involved in it now and why these people are involved in it now and the credentials of the people that make the decisions on this fear tactic clock like how like how uh tied into u.s and international policies and affairs that they are and that's why they have a leg up and able to tune this doomsday clock in order of fear and panic to for the society because no they just push it towards whatever agenda they feel is popular at the moment well, and this is why climate change and COVID-19 is part of this thing, which yeah. it was supposed to be all about nuclear warfare and all yeah, this that's shit. that's what people, like, there's tons and tons of articles saying that now, like, it's a it's a Cold War relic because that's what it was used for. It was used for fear in the Cold War, and so now it's, like, pointless. But supposedly, because of the Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, they've remastered the clock, and because all of these people that have so much credentials are so qualified they can predict the future of our society supposedly okay and you may not be able to hear it uh but kim has massive cotton mouth i can hear it with you don't have massive cotton mouth stop it i just took a bong okay so let's roll into these people so the first one being rachel bronson and this is one of the ones that's really really difficult to find information on but and we'll get into why it's difficult to find negative information on all these people because of one of the people in this group (laughs) two of these people yeah two of these people in this group are in charge of what is on the internet basically okay so in to be to be fully transparent i did not look into any of these people um i wanted to make this a little more like organic yeah so when you're reading through this i am kind of finding this out as you go so just don't use any hard r's uh you're a very racist individual so just oh make sure God. make sure that you don't use any hard r's or any hard slurs when you say like any i'm any. literally gonna read what the uh science and security board website told me the bulletin.org told okay. me about these people and what's interesting is the least qualified person is actually the group's president and ceo well and when you told me that 
because that was one thing that you did tell me. I was wondering, like, is this someone that's maybe like a distant relative to Albert Einstein or Oppenheimer, who is uh, yeah. another person involved in this? I don't know, but all these people have like, you know, tens, 10 years in this and 10 years in that, like, you know, tons and tons of years qualified in all these different sciences and the colleges. But the uh, group's president and CEO, Rachel Bronson, she's only been in charge of the Doomsday Clock her entire career. She's the Doomsday Clock manager. She's the Chicago Council on Global Chicago, Chicago, Chicago Council on Global Affairs, which is another subcommittee of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. And the only thing she did go to college, she is a professor. That's the only thing. She's the professor of global energy at Kellogg School of Management which gives her the in to manage the doomsday clock pretty Very much all of her education and all of her like extracurricular bullshit is because she needs to manage the doomsday clock. Okay. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm going to have to go and break up a dog fight at any moment here because <laughs> I can continue talking. Yeah. Well, yeah, just keep going. So, so this is Rachel Bronson, obviously clearly there's gotta be some, some bloodline connections here, but we just couldn't find anything concrete. Yeah, we, we don't want to spread misinformation, stuff. okay? Yeah, and we only found good stuff about her. And I'll get into why, because of one of the people on this list. Okay, they well, control what's on the internet. You're I'm keeping you. us in suspense. Who's the next fellow? Okay, the next fellow is going to blow your mind. Okay, he's the executive chair of the Science and Security Board, and his name is Edmund G. Brown Jr. He was the 2019 governor of California. His fourth term, by the way, he was the governor of California for four terms. Uh, in 1969, he was a trustee for L.A. Community College, which means that he swayed what they were learning at the community college as well. Um, in 1970, he was the secretary of state. Um, oh, my God, they are fighting. They're dog fighting. <laughs> OK. And then uh, Edmund G. Brown Jr. was in 1998. He was the mayor of Oakland, California. He's also been the chairman of the Democratic Party. And in 2006, he was the California attorney general. He also went to Berkeley and Yale Law Schools, both. So that's the executive chair of this committee. So the senior research scholar is Lynn Eden. She is from Stanford University for the Center of International Security. She is the author of Whole World on Fire, Organizations, Knowledge, and Nuclear Weapons Devastation. Nuclear. (laughs) You fucking Peter Griffin. (laughs) I knew you were going to fuck with me when I said nuclear. Nuclear. Nuclear is the proper way to nuclear. say it. Nuclear, not nuclear. Nuclear. R- Although Ron, he's a very intelligent dude. He uses nuclear. Nuclear. Because he, like Peter Griffin, he's from New England. I want to say nuclear. Okay, so also this Lynn lady, she, her current work involves U.S. military planning and strategies. Why would this woman have to be on the Doomsday Clock Committee? <laughs> Interesting. Right. Uh, why would the uh, former governor of California for his fourth term be on the Doomsday Clock Committee? All right. So, again, the next person is Rod Ewing, professor in nuclear security. He's also a professor of the Department of Geological Studies and Scientists at Stanford, a geochemistry professor. He, he was the former president of the International Union of Materials Research Society. Mm. That's another society. Uh, he okay. What was that? The name of that society? International Union of Materials Research Society. Okay, so I don't know if you see a pattern here. These all seem like propped up jobs. None of these fucking committees are anything real. Yeah, none of them. I mean, this guy is like a big uh climate change person, and uh, well, they all are, and like radioactive waste person. He's written a bunch of papers on radioactive waste and. Uh, the uncertainty of high-level nuclear waste in the nuclear, world. Nuclear, you fuck. Nuclear waste in the world. He's going to be correcting me the whole fucking time. Yes, just say nuclear. Okay. I know nuclear sounds another, more fun. There's like, you know, 10 members of the Science and Security Board. So another member who, you know, uh, probably doesn't need to be on this Science and Security Board, doesn't need another paycheck from the government, uh, is Steve Fetter, professor of public policy. He is the dean of graduate school for the University of Maryland. He used five years as a White House staff in Office of Science and Technology Policy during the Obama term. Uh, He's the head of Environment and Energy Divisions of the White House. He's the head of National and International Affairs Division at the White House. He's the member of American Physical Society, 
member of the Union of Concerned Scientists. He's a board of directors, actually, for them. Mm. Uh, he's a member of the National Academy of Sciences Committee on the International Security and Arms Control. What the fuck? That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a person that's on the Doomsday Clock board. Who are you on here? Steve Fetter. He was a White House fucking, you know, aficionado. Mm-hmm. For the Obama term, he had connections to like international affairs at the White House during the Obama term. And now he runs, you know, he's on the board of doomsday clocks. Okay. Okay, So the next person is Asha M. George. This lady is very interesting because is this the lady? Let's see. Yeah. This is the lady that has, is in the, has been in the U S army on military intelligence and she's a paratrooper, Mm. but military intelligence and paratrooping. She's a senior, senior staff member at the department of health and human services. Uh, Let's see, senior staff and subcommittee staff director at the house committee on Homeland security. And yeah, she's the executive director for the bipartisan commission on biodefense. You know, what's interesting as you were saying this, and I actually saw all these people that you were listing and, and we went through and talked about them. The list has actually changed. Since, has it since we wrote this all down and talked about it? Yeah. So Holy, what is. Oh, no, you know, that's that's staff. You're looking at all staff on the bulletin. I looked of, at leadership, too. Yeah. The bulletin.org. So, yeah, you're looking at all the staff. I was looking at the. Where's oh, Asha. I was looking at only the members of the Board of Science and Security, the Science and Security Board. That's a whole other page. You're okay. on the same page, and I had to find it, too. It takes a minute to find it. It's not staff. It's like leadership. Maybe it's leadership or something. Yeah, I looked at that, too. Okay, keep going. I'll, okay, I'll just find so, the people that you're talking um, about. Yeah, it's a big list. So Science and Security Board, that's what we need to look, you need to look for. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so Daniel Holtz, he's mostly, his background is mostly in science and weird shit. He's the co-chair of the Science and Security Board. Okay. He's a professor at University of Chicago in the departments of physics, astronomy, and astrophysics cosmological physics all kinds of fucking physics <laughs> yeah he's a member of the laser infometer gravitational wave observatory which is weird in a giant probably a giant observatory it looks like he likes to get pegged if you look at him yeah he looks like the young hot like university professor that fucks all of his grad students yeah he pretends he's like enlightened like he likes <laughs> yoga and he's like i don't have a cell phone because it's bad yeah, exactly exactly yeah don't use cell phones what is the name of a group of people that don't use modern technology luddites was, yes luddites he's definitely a luddite look at him well, he probably pretends to be, but then he... He's a member of the National Academy of Sciences. Subscribes to several OnlyFans, yeah. Yeah, he's a member of the American Physical Society, which I thought was kind of creepy when I first heard it, but I realized it's just a physics society. Okay. American Physical Society, that sounds so fucked up and creepy. Yeah. He's got a PhD in physics, which is really, really hard to attain, a PhD in physics. Chicago, and he went to Chicago University. Chicago. All these people are involved in Chicago. Yeah, all these. Uh, he went to Chicago University and Princeton. Uh, they either went to you know Yale, Berkeley, Ch- Chicago, or Princeton, some crazy or Brown or some crazy. And he's a the member. He's a member of the governing board for the Doomsday Clock. So he's mm-hmm. actually in like the top five. Plus, he's a co-chair, so he gets a lot of money for making the Doomsday Clock decision. And this is a nonprofit deal. Right? Yeah, yeah. Supposedly, the Doomsday Clock organization and the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists is a nonprofit nonprofit organization. You make a lot of money in nonprofit. Okay, oh, let's move dude. on here. I, I'm assuming your next guy is Sivian Kartha. I, I call it Sivan. 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 No, it's okay. Uh, that's just my opinion. But Sivan Kartha. He's a senior scientist. This guy's a straight nerd. Senior scientist at the Stockholm Environmental Institute. He's a climate change ex- uh, expert and specialist for 25 years. Uh, current studies involve the equity and efficiency. Efficacy. I can never say that if word. If I'm right. the one that's correcting your pronunciation, oh my you God, need to I just go back to school. I just Didn't you go to college? Too? I did. I did not. Uh, UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> Okay. It's well, a party college. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Efficacy uh, in the design of an international climate regime. He uses that word. He's saying his current research is modeling. Like, Oh, the my God. Thesis. Hold on. Let's, let's rewind. This is efficiency. You're telling yeah. me the wrong word. 
Equity and efficiency. Kim, get it together. How oh, can okay. you not pronounce efficiency? Okay. Efficient. I spelt it wrong on my... Christ almighty. I, Why are you helping me with I, this? No, I spelt it wrong on my page that I wrote down. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the site I wrote here. two Fs. Oh, it is two Fs. Yeah, I just pronounced it efficiency. wrong. Efficiency. My bad. Efficiency. Very easy word. Efficiency in the design of an international climate regime. So basically, he's running like thesis tests about... What will happen if there's a giant climate regime, like set of laws instilled okay. on everybody? It's pretty interesting. He's the co-leader. Is it though? Is it? He's the co-leader. This is fucking crazy and creepy. He's the co-leader of SEI's gender and social equity program. That means that he's pushing for the gen, like mm. no gender. Okay. He's the co-director of the climate equity reference project which is like i have no idea because we didn't research it and there's all kind they're involved in all kinds of well the climate equity reference uh project i don't know what you said it was reference okay reference project um essentially they are all about climate equity um they want to make sure that every uh single nation is putting out the same greenhouse gases and they are, uh, you know, getting the benefit and they're also paying the global taxes required for damaging the planet. So it's making it so that, you know, even though China is considered a developing country and they have like the fucking second biggest GDP in the entire world. Yeah. Uh, they want to make sure that countries like China uh, are paying the same uh, it's like if you look at it like a pie chart, let's say that, that the entire world's a pie. The United States is putting out 30% of greenhouse gases. China is putting out 30%. India is putting out 20%. Each one is paying the same amount of taxes to global organizations to help combat these climate uh, inequities. And, uh, you know, it's just to make everything even. So if you're if you're damaging the earth, you're paying to help restore it, essentially. So this guy is a super nerd. Yeah, and it doesn't look like he's ever had sex in his life. <laughs> you ever see someone you're like, oh, you've never he's got a whole room never... full of sex dolls. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he's got. He's got sex dolls with all different names. And his picture does look like it's from the 70s. So who knows yeah. if this guy's even real? That's the problem. Yeah, that's exactly. The whole, that's the problem I have with a lot of these positions is they seem fake. They seem like they are literally put in place to make it seem like these guys are getting paid under the table. There's some serious fuckery going on. With I mean, people. they get a lot of, you know, automatic deposits every month and all these different because sure, of wire all these transfers. Yeah. yeah. And because of all these different societies, like they can like just make a statement someone will call them. They'll make a statement that's going to be published somewhere anyways. Okay. So the next person is pretty fucking interesting as well. He is a retired U S air force major general. He retired in 2006. His name is Robert Latif. Latif? Latif? Latif. Latif. Ooh, I like that. Um, So he is a research professor at the University of... He's an old white man. The weird thing about this is that he it says he's an adjunct professor and a research professor, but it doesn't say what he's researching. It's kind of interesting. So He researches research. Right, in the University of Notre Dame and at George Mason School of Engineering. Mm. Which means I think that he is going there and like scouting all these people. It's shallow and pedantic. <laughs> He's a member of the Intelligence Committee Studies Board. He's mm. a member of the Committee on International Security and Arms Control. He's a member of the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. Mind you, this guy is not, he's a fucking army colonel or general. He doesn't have any science degrees or any kind of fucking college degrees. He just spent his entire career in the army. Well, and if you want to hint, in the that US this, Air Force. Uh, if you want to hint that this Bulletin of Atomic Sciences board is all just uh, fake jobs, they yeah. plug Latif's new book. Uh, in his bio okay future peace future peace technology aggression and the rush to war okay this is uh i mean dude plug both his books they're plugging his books yeah it's fucking bullshit and then he also is the author of future war preparing uh for global uh the new global battlefield i mean dude out now at every major governmental up your ass fuck you sore i guarantee you can find that in barnes and noble but you can't find my book Okay. No one's asked about my book. (laughs) And your PhD. Yeah, my PhD is getting shipped to me in the mail. (laughs) Fucks. Okay, so the next 
member of the Science and Security Board. Oh, Herb Green? Who is, this guy is the one that I, I've been telling you about. So okay. pay attention to what his credentials are. And there's another person who's his boss on this list too. Okay. So Herb Lynn is a senior research scholar for cyber policy and security at the Center for International Security and Cooperation. Mm. That Hot. is a company created to like pretty much censor and scrub whatever they need to scrub for the entire world on the internet. Mm. Like it's funded pretty much. I like the it's UN approved. They didn't say funded, but when it's UN approved, it's usually means that the UN yeah, has funded, given them yeah. funded. So, so, so hold on before you and move it's on. It's a private company. Okay. Hold on. Slow down. Okay. So this, this dude is in, uh, at least he works for it. We don't know if he's in charge of. He's a senior research scholar for cybersecurity and policy at the Center for International Security and Cooperation. So they scrub the internet yeah. of things that they don't want, like yep. things that the government does that they don't want the population yep. to know about. Yep. They just straight scrub it. They just straight take it off the internet because he, in, in, in the entire world, this company has the power to... Um, oh, not just the United States? No, the entire world. This company has the power to like block certain countries from internet use and block certain sites from internet. This is the company that does that for the entire world. Like, block. you know how they say the government blocked so-and-so certain site. Like in Japan, you can't watch porn with vagina in it. And, and they, they probably create a lot they of used VPNs to, too. They, yeah, and they used to actually just like block the sites that showed any kind of penetration in Japan for porn. And now it, it blurred out or not, they used to just block the sites. Now mm. it's just blurred out because the little looser, the, you know, standards of looser and giggity. <laughs> yeah. The standards of, you know, society is a little looser. So they'll allow just blurred out. But like this company is the one that blocks the internet from people. Interesting. Okay. He's, so, so he's also the senior advisor in cyber policy and security at Stanford, which has a giant say in how the internet is run as a whole. <laughs> the current his current research which is scary is in national security uh dimensions uh in cyberspace cyberspace warfare and offensive tactics because of the whole like uh fake news about how north korea tried to threaten because of that movie you know how like america and russia has been like yeah the interview yeah yeah and we've been like you know cyber attacked different you know governments and different jobs or whatever have been cyber attacked and now there's a committee dedicated specifically to that that's what it's well there's a big is. scare on cyber attacks right now the world economic forum is actually really emphasizing that that is the next pandemic so to speak that's right. the next global scare and what's here did you write anything <laughs> about obama's uh yeah, i was just gonna say firstly he's a member of the american association for the advancement of science which is a giant you know, society that's been around since like the 1800s. Uh, he served on the White House Obama term for, or he served in the White House Obama term on the Commission for Enhancing National Cybersecurity. His second term, to be clear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he's already, like, he has all these connections, the White House connections, because he's like world connected. So the White House jumped on him and hired hired him for that. He's a staff scientist for the White House Armed Services Committee as well. Like a current he, staff scientist or no, has no, been no. a staff scientist? Yeah, he was in the past from oh. uh, 1986 to 1990. Uh, so this was in the uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush. What would the Armed Service Committee need a staff scientist for? Isn't it Armed Services Committee? Doesn't that mean like military and armed services? What's the question? Why would the military and armed like... Uh, House uh, for the House Armed Services. That means the White House Armed Services. That means all the security and like armed guards at the White House, the committee for them. And like, I, I assume that's what that means. Why would they need a staff scientist on that committee? Like for the House Armed Services, like why would they need, why would the House Armed Service Committee need a scientist? Uh, I mean, there's lots of reasons, honestly. It would just be to get a, a separate perspective. But uh, yeah, it is eerie. Yeah, one that that specializes in cyber security and control. Well, yeah, there's tons of reasons. I mean, I don't I know guess. if that was supposed I to guess. be rhetorical. Well, but no, was... I just want like it just seems weird to me. So yeah, it, it's one of those things where like, have you seen those like hack '80s movies where it's a bunch of like tough dudes and they're like, 
what are these fucking scientists talking about? That's exactly <laughs> what they do when that yeah. like they have they have scientists in there to be like, hey, dude, we can't just go in there and roll heads, even yeah. though I mean, it is it is clearly like a propaganda move. Right. But yeah, Herb, Herb Lynn and people like him are meant to make it look like these aren't just a bunch of fucking like door door kicker inners, fucking <laughs> lead packing motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like right. they're supposed to look. Okay, so we got to get to Suzette McKinney, who is a whole nother ballpark of. She's probably up. the highest one. Can we agree? Or eh. she's just like an. It, she looks like she may have a cock. She's in early. Fi- she looks like Michelle Obama. Really. She does. Like, you you think Michelle Obama's hot? No, but I mean, let's look at the rest of the people uh, we've gone through. Okay, you're right. Do you think I think is? Daniel Holtz is the hottest one because he looks like he. Uh, is I like the, Asha and He's George. like the fucked up. I'll fuck my students professor. Asha. Looks like she gives an all teeth blowjob. She looks like she can suck a golf ball through a garden hose. I'll tell you that. Stop or what it. about Lynn Eden? She looks gay. That looks like a dude. She's it looks gay. like uh, Anthony gay. Fauci's wife. Okay, so let's get to Suzette McKinney. Yes, she's sir. got a lot of connections with the United States government. And she's got a lot of balls. She right, is the go. principal and director of Life Sciences for Sterling Bay, which is a private nonprofit organization to save Sterling Bay. It's like some wildlife. 